So uh, either we keep the passage projected, if that's uh, possible, or if you're following in uh, your Bibles, you might like to uh, turn back to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, which is on page 1175 of the uh, Bibles. You've got in your pews in front of you. Oh, it's amazing how time flies, isn't it? <laughs> That's my watch I've just dropped, but never mind. Uh, there's a joke about that, but I won't, I won't go into it just now. <laughs> Last week, uh, David Peters, uh, talking from uh, Ephesians 3, took us to the heights. Do you remember where uh, he left us at the uh, end? With this prayer of... Paul for his church. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with the Lord's people, holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's a deep prayer, isn't it? It's a fantastic prayer. And, and David lifted our spirits and our hearts as he shared that passage and his own heart with us. And it was fantastic. In our wonderful home group, there's a, a, a great member called Tony Haynes. And uh, he very often comes out with what has become to be called the Tony Haynes question. And after we've, we've done some fantastic discussion, he will say, yes, but the real question is this. What does it mean on Monday morning? And Debbie's already touched on that, hasn't it? What does all this mean for Monday morning? Do you remember that there was that just little overview that we did from Ephesians? I don't know, John, if we can get uh, to, to that. It's just a little uh, one-frame MP4 thing. Do you remember that uh, overview of the book of Ephesians that we've looked at? And on 1 to 3 of Ephesians, you'll remember that there's the Gospel story. And then on four to six, which is the story we are starting now and for the next few weeks, there's the gospel story. And then from four to six, there's our story. And you see the one word that takes us from one to the other. It's that little word right at the top there. Therefore. And therefore is the Sunday to Monday word. It's the word that takes us from all that Christ has done all that our story unfolds in the world around us. And I know maybe that that's where we hold our breath this morning. Because I know that uh, many of us, perhaps all of us, are actually living really, really high-pressure, demanding lives. It's not easy out there. There's the pressure of work, there's the pressure of family circumstances, and pressure of personal circumstances. And I know sometimes it's really, really tough and hard going. And I'm very anxious this morning not to make living our faith just another demand, just another thing to add to that endless list of jobs which needs to be done and we never somehow get to the end of it. And I don't want to make it just another thing to add to my sense of guilt uh, my sense of failure, my sense of inadequacy, that somehow I'm not the person I'm really meant to be. Because then, with guilt and inadequacy and failure, in my head it all goes very dead and very dry 
and soon leads nowhere. And I've actually had to kind of go on that journey a bit myself. Uh, Since uh, retiring as a full-time vicar, I've had to kind of rethink what actually matters to me as a Christian, why I do what I do as a Christian when nobody's paying me to do it anymore. And it's been a very tough journey, but it's been a a therapeutic journey in many ways, uh, I I believe. Um, A mother went into uh, into her son's uh, bedroom and said to her son, son, you've got to get up, it's Sunday morning, it's church. And the son said, why do I? I don't want to go to church, they don't like me and I don't like them. And she said, son, it's Sunday morning, you're 48 years old, you're vicar, get up. (laughs) So working out what I do and what I have to do has been a real journey for me. And maybe that's why Paul has taken three chapters so long to remind us of all the things that God has done for us in Christ. Three chapters worth that he's redeemed us, he's called us, he's given us a new life, he's made us a new people, he's given us a new purpose, he's given us a new community, all that. And it's only then that we get to this word, therefore. But therefore we do for God because of what God has done for us. In the end, isn't this right? that our motive for living him, our real motive, if we dig deep enough, our real motive is not guilt or even duty, though sometimes we need to hang on to that to get us through. But really deep down, isn't the thing that kind of gets us going, is simply gratitude for all that God has done for us. And there's a sense in which God doesn't actually demand of us. He says, look, I've done this for you. I give it to you freely as a gift. And, and I just wait and stand here to see what you'll give back. And whatever you give back, actually, in a sense, I'll rejoice and celebrate and value. Because whatever you do in my name matters and is value. And I see it. And I notice it. And I treasure it. And I hang on to it. And I love it. So here's my gift to you. Now what will you give back to me? Simply out of gratitude. Simply out of love. But nonetheless, in this passage, Paul does set out a pattern of life uh, in front of us. And uh, it might be just worth looking uh, uh, at what that pattern is. We've jumped over in the series, uh, verses 1 to 16, which is the therefore for the church. In the light of all that Christ has done for us, Uh, What's the therefore for the church? That was verses 1 to 16, which we haven't actually had time to look at in this series. It's all about unity, and it's all about gifts, that we're all one, but we're not all the same. We're called together, but to be a variety of gifts and abilities. But the therefore today is how we are to be in our daily lives, in the society around about us. And the message Paul starts with, if you've got the passage uh, open, uh, is is very direct. Verse 17. I don't know if it's still projected. Yes, it is. You can see it up there. Verse 17. It's very direct, challenging. I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles. So what is Paul saying here? Because this is a key step in his thinking. 
He's saying God has called you to be a new people, a different people, my people. People that have not been seen like this on the earth before. So live as new people. Don't be like them. I could again hear this going around our our home group discussion because uh, these sort of things I think might come back. You see, Paul is an intelligent man and he's not saying, is he, obviously, that all Gentiles are bad people. Clearly that's nonsense. He knows as well as I do that there are good people who are not Christian. And nor is he saying, because again that would be nonsense, that every Christian lives a better life than every person who's not a Christian. I mean, again, that's that's self-evident nonsense, isn't it? So what is he saying? Isn't he saying this? He's looking at the Gentile world as a whole. The way things are generally in the society round about the church in Ephesus. And maybe this morning we could just, just, just look at the way things are around us, where we are in our daily lives, uh, Monday to Saturday. Community, office, country, the global village, sports club. So how do you feel about it? How do you feel about all those places? Does it strike you? that everything is well? Does it make you feel that everything is as it should be? Or do you sometimes feel that actually this isn't the way it should be? Generally out there, there must be a different way. Just look at the headlines we've had this week. Is that how it's meant to be? There must be another way. There must be a different way. And whenever you feel that sense, there must be something different, there must be another way. Then that's the difference. Paul is saying, and I share with you this morning, that's the difference that God is calling you and I to be in him. Because God's way of changing the world is simply this, isn't it? It's through changed people, different people, new people, new people in Christ. And that wonderfully is you and me. But actually what he comes out with, if you just look at the verses, actually it's not rocket science. Uh, Verse 25, speak the truth. Verse 26, control your anger. Uh, Verse 28, stop stealing. Verse 29, watch your language. Verse 32, be kind and forgiving. It's hardly earth-shattering stuff. And actually most religions will say something like that. We've had this uh, criticism this week, haven't we, of, of Thought for the Day for, by John Humphreys, who, who, who says that you, 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 you summarise it as uh, most of it is simply boring because when you listen to it, all it's saying is Jesus was nice, so you must be nice too. And there is something about the fact that all Paul's saying isn't, isn't rocket science. It is very uh, interesting, but straightforward. But the reasons are interesting. Verse 25, speak truth for the sake of unity. Speak truth, he says, so that you may stay together. A PA was asked by her boss uh, to lie 
and say uh, he wasn't in the office when in fact he, he, he was in the office and available. And she said, uh, I'm not going to tell that lie. And he, he was absolutely furious. And feisty woman that she, she is, she, she replied, well, if I won't lie for you, then you can trust me that I will never lie to you. And trust builds unity. Truth builds trust, and trust builds unity. And that's why Paul holds together, speaking the truth, because we're one body. Because truth and trust hold us together. Control anger, verse 26. Be angry, says Paul, but be angry in the right way. Use anger for good. And don't let it destroy yourself and don't let it destroy other people. Anger is good if it gets justice done for other people. Anger is bad if it simply makes you feel better and other people worse. And don't let it get inside you. Put a boundary around it. Otherwise, anger will simply eat away and destroy you. Verse 28, stop stealing. Do something useful with your life. Don't be one of life's takers. Go to work so that you've got something to give. Don't be a taker. Be one of life's givers. Verse 24, uh, 29, watch your language. Uh, That's often trivialised to Christians don't swear. I'm not saying that Christians do should swear. <laughs> not likely. But I am saying that we should use language in a way that benefits others and think about how what you say is heard by the other person. Be kind and compassionate. Don't be harsh, says Paul, and grieve the spirit of Christ, the gentle spirit of Christ within you. Be gentle, like the Spirit of Christ in you is gentle. So that's the sort of things that Paul sets out in his list of the difference, the therefores, the Monday therefores of all that Christ has done for us. But the real question is this, how do we get there? So many pressures around us. So how again, I ask, can this be a a freedom and not not another burden? And Paul gives these reasons, picking out again, referring back to all he said in chapters 1 to 3. The therefore still stands in the light of all that God has done for us in Christ. Therefore, this is the sort of people he wants us to be. First of all, remember who you are. Not necessarily just who you are in yourself, but who you really are. The true self, the self you long deep down to be. In fact, the self that God has made and Christ has redeemed. That real self, that true self, that's who God wants you to be. And that's what you have to hang on to in all the pressures and buffeting of life. And then he says, hang on to why you're here. You're here, God has put you here to be his way of changing the world. You've got a purpose, whatever you do, wherever you go. You're part of God's plan and purpose to change a world. To be light and goodness 
in all the darkness and rubbish around us. That's his plan and purpose, even for you and even for me. And so he's made us, his people, distinctive and different so that we can be the difference in the world around us. And then he says, listen to the right voices. Remember how you learned Christ. Think of all the futility of the Gentiles' thinking. Think of all the rubbish ways that that people are thinking around you. You didn't learn Christ like that. Don't think like that. Listen to the voices in your head. What voices in your head do you listen to? We've all got voices in our heads. No one will know if I do it. Go on, you deserve a bit of that. Voices maybe that other people have put on to us from the past. You're never as good as your brother. You always get it wrong, you do. Not quite bright enough. And all those voices kind of bang around our brains, don't they? And Paul says, you didn't learn Christ like that. Uh, a, A Christian writer international Christian writer Joyce Mayer has written a book which I think just the title says it all the battlefield for the mind and sometimes winning the battle and she sets out and put sometimes winning the battle is actually up here just, just listening to the right voice getting the voice right and Paul says you didn't learn Christ in a wrong way listen to that voice the voice that taught you Christ get that voice somehow into your head And maybe we're used to asking the question, what would Jesus do? But maybe we just sometimes in the midst of all and in the battles and turmoils and trivia and pressures and anxieties, just this. Put the foot on the brake and say, what is Jesus saying to me here? Where in all this do I hear the voice of Jesus? Put your foot on the ball, so to speak, in football terms. Slow it down. And try just there to hear the voice of Jesus. And that will be the real you. The real voice. And in chapter 1 to 3, he says, be the real you. Be the real you you are in Christ. And here in this passage, he, he has this picture of putting off the old self and putting on the new self. And this is probably a reference to what happened to the Ephesians Christians at their baptism. Now, I believe that baptising children is a good thing to do, a right thing to do, and I celebrate and I love it. But, but, but actually, even in the Church of England, I say even in the Church of England, in the Church of England, the picture of baptism, all baptism, is actually based on adult baptism by immersion. And that probably was the experience of most of the Ephesian grown-up Christian people. And you know how it, how it works, that? You, you, you've got a big pool of water, maybe a lake or maybe a tank or maybe the sea. And you, and you come up to the water in your old self, wearing your old clothes, and, and they're taken off you. And then you go down into the water's And you go right down, under the waters, like dying with Christ, into the grave. Your old self gets buried under the waters. Your old clothes are over there. Your old self is dead. 
And then you come up this side. Risen with Christ. New person, alive in him. Celebrating his new life in you. And to celebrate that new life in baptism in those days, even now, a new, fresh, clean, white robe will be wrapped around you as a sign of the new life that is now wrapped around you in Christ. And so Paul says, take off the old clothes. You take them off. Put on the new. Keep changing your wardrobe. (laughs) And put that new clothes of Christ in you. In royal robes. I don't deserve. I live to serve your majesty. Of course, we won't get it right. It's a process, not an event. There'll be landmarks, but it's a journey. And sometimes we won't get it right with one another, even in church. And in verse 32, of all the journeys that uh, Paul invites us to go on, he picks out forgiveness as an essential aspect of life in the church. Because here in the fellowship of God's people, with one another, we work out who we're meant to be. This is what church is about. It's in church where we find ourselves, where we find our new selves in Christ. We work it out with one another. Sometimes we work it out against one another. But here's where we do it. And we do it here so that safely we can do it here, so that we can be God's people in the more dangerous world out there. And that's why Paul says you've got to forgive one another. Because you won't always get it right. You won't even get it right with one another here in church. But actually, it's safer to fail here because you're surrounded by people who know what you're trying to do and know that they themselves will fail from time to time. And that's one of the reasons why I rejoice that we say the confession aloud together. Because I hear you saying to God, God, I haven't got it right. And you hear me saying to God, God, I haven't got it right. And so we look at each other and say, well, let's try and get it right together. And saying the confession aloud together is one of the ways in which we celebrate that. Now, I know fitting in is a big thing in Surrey. And standing out is really difficult. Fitting in with friends, fitting in with work, fitting in with society in general is big, big, big things in Surrey. In order to really feel part of, of, of Warner's church, I've started shopping at Waitrose <laughs> just so that I can feel at home amongst you. And I know the deep, deep agony when you get to something which says dress code, smart casual, and that takes hours of agonizing about what actually smart casual means when it's decoded. Filling in is, is huge, huge business. And therefore it is a real challenge to hear Paul say right from the start, look, there's a sense in which chums, uh, you can't just fit in. You've got to stand out. And that's costly, and it's difficult, and it's disturbing. The old idea of a, of a missionary, 
still actually current, what was it? Someone who, who went from their own country to a foreign country for the sake of the gospel of Christ. Now that's still a good thing to do, it's still an important thing to do. But actually I think in this country we need people who are not geographical missionaries in that sense, but who are cultural missionaries who will go into all the different cultures, the work culture, the voluntary culture, the social culture, the sport culture, who will go as missionaries in Christ's name into those cultures to be God's people there and to make a difference. And I believe that that's the calling that he's put on you and he's put on me. Now, I don't know how realistic that seems to you, in your own life, in your own circumstance. It may be tough for you to work it out. It may be easy for you uh, to work it out. I've had limited uh, commercial experience uh, myself, obviously. But as it happens, I've, I've known what it is to struggle to bring a Christian distinctiveness into community issues as a chair of a number of community associations in the world of education. And I know it's not easy. I've had to confront politicians and national leaders and all that sort of stuff. And it's not easy. It's not comfortable. But actually, I do believe that there is a sense in which we have to do that in order to make the difference of Christ's purpose. Because that is our fundamental calling, to be God's people in God's world. So here we are. Here we are today. Celebrate your calling, who you are in Christ, all that Christ has given you to do. Be yourself, the real self, not the self that people necessarily expect you to be, but the real self, the deep down self, the self you long to be. Be that person, because that's who you are in Christ. Listen to the right voices, get the right voices into your heads. And I believe that we'll all be surprised to know the difference that God will make. We can be different to make a difference. Be the difference to make a difference. That's our calling in Christ. And maybe even in the midst of our own wilderness, there can be part of our daily life, which actually just doing that sets us free from guilt, sets us free from pressure, sets us free from duty. Because when I am really the person that I long to be, when I find a place to be who I really am in Christ, there is actually a a, a deep sense of freedom and fulfilment and peace as I come to that place in my life. And it's nothing new. Way back in the first century, Cyprian, a Christian leader, wrote to Donatus, a a Roman leader who was oppressing the Christians. And he wrote this. This seems a cheerful world, Donatus, when I view it from this fair garden under the shadow of these vines. But if I climbed some great mountain and looked over the wide lands, you know very well what I would see. Brigands on the high road, pirates on the seas, in the amphitheatres men murdered to please the applauding crowds. Under all roofs, misery and selfishness. It's a really bad world, Donatus, an incredibly bad world. 
Yet in the midst of it, I have found a quiet and holy people. They have discovered a joy which is a thousand times better than all the pleasures of this sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They have overcome the world. These people, donors, are the Christians. And I am one of them. So you, and so me, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen. Amen.